0: In this episode of the Talent Cast, what can Apple teach us about employer brand and recruitment? Uh, a lot, but maybe not what you're going to think. We'll be right back. Hello, and welcome to the Talent Cast. I'm your host, James Ellis. We're here to talk about employer branding and talent acquisition, talent recruitment marketing at some fairly deep levels. We're not here to pitch books. We're not here to pitch software. This is a 100% pitch-free zone. We're here to go back to first principles and really think through what it's going to take for you to be better at employer brand and talent acquisition, for you to win the war for talent. Yes, that's a bad metaphor. Yes, people shouldn't say it. Yes, it's also my Twitter handle, so I can't help you. This will not be your standard podcast. This will be a little goofy. A little weird, a little bit of me. Hopefully, you're going to learn something from it. If you like it, please tell people. Uh, if you like it a lot, review us on iTunes and Google Play. Otherwise, you can hear, learn more about us, or talk to us directly on Twitter, again, at The War for Talent, or just go to our website, thetalentcast.com. So, that having been said, here's the show. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here. Good morning. Uh, I know last week was a tequila episode. Hopefully that wasn't horrible. This week is a coffee episode, so we're back on track. We're going to be fine. Yes, I've already had two big cups of coffee. Yes, I'm drinking my third. Here we go. So I want to tell you a 100% true story, at least true to the best of my recollection. It's not my story. It's Apple's story. Uh, So this is all... Glean from third-party information, books, and, and websites, and, and, and articles, and whatnot. So most people, when they think of Apple, they think of what has to be one of the no hell. Let's stop with the one of the most successful product company in the world. All credit to Procter and Gamble and <laughs> companies like that. But when it comes to products, yeah, it's got to be Apple. It's do you know how much cash they have on hand? They have two hundred and seventy. Billion dollars, US dollars, cash on hand, that's what's sitting in the bank, sitting in the bank. They could buy 40% of Google's market cap today, they'd write a check. This is, this just that's cash on hand, that's not the value of the company, and in fact, depending on the day of the stock market, you know, whenever you look, it may be the biggest company in the world by market cap. So I think we can say that they've been pretty darn successful at what they've done. Apparently iPhones, kinda cool, I've only owned like five. Um, but let's take a trip back, long, long, long time ago, in a time called the 90s. In fact, this is the early 90s. These are the days long after Steve Jobs has grown the company and Steve Wozniak you know, launched the company and super, super famous, the 1984 commercial, super, super famous, really cool Apple IIe graphic interface, really kind of brought the concept of, hey, you're going to want a computer in your home to reality. And as a kid in the '80s, uh, I had a a, a, an IBM XT, which was one up from the AT, which is a pretty cool machine. But it was all DOS based and owned, which means it was owned by Microsoft. Um, And my friend had a had an Apple, an Apple II, and then uh, and then they got the the Mac, the 84 Mac, and it was gorgeous. My best friend had a, a, some later version of the Mac when we were in college, and I loved playing with it because I'd never—I really never used a, a mouse before. I typed all my papers on a word processor, and I was, you know, using—gosh—was WordStar out of DOS in high school. So the concept of a graphical user interface, i.e., it's a mouse and you touch things and you move things and it, it responds to that kind of radical. Even though they stole it from Xerox, whatever. Um, huge huge company they were going great except they weren't except microsoft was just destroying them the microsoft space pcs the 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 ibms and the soon to be the compacts and the uh, uh hewitt packard and uh, hp rather and then um uh, Packard Bell, oh my god Packard Bell and, the, and then of course the e-machines and the gateways and all that just they were just owning the landscape and Apple had a nice little kind of niche there you know they owned the education and design spaces really if you wanted to go to college and you wanted to discount on computers Apple was there to help you because they knew uh, this perfect computer for students or at least that's what they thought they weren't cheap they weren't you know the necessarily the best computers maybe they were depending on your you know how you saw things but they were a fairly effective company not, however, gonna set the world on fire. And then they fired Steve, and Steve went away, and Steve did what Steve did, uh, and that's a well-documented process in which he took a shit ton of drugs and started a whole nother company and invested in Pixar and became kinda wealthy, uh, and and came back triumphantly, but we'll talk about that in a second. What happened was is they brought in, uh, actually Steve helped bring him in, which is the kind of ironic part, uh, the guy who used to run Pepsi. And the famous line being, you don't want to change the world, or you want to sell sugar water. And the guy who ran Pepsi started to take over Apple. And the guy who ran Pepsi decided to do what guys who run Pepsi generally do. They think retail. They think, okay, in order to capture more market share, in order to grow, we need to offer more options. We need to offer different flavors. Think how many versions of Pepsi there are in the world today. Think how many different versions. Just from a classic standpoint, you got Pepsi, you got Diet Pepsi, you got. Uh, whatever the version of Pepsi that's got n- almost no sugar—it's like t- one calorie or something—but uh, it's not Diet Pepsi. You've got caffeine-free. You've got, uh, you know, flavored. It's 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 crazy, you know. And then Coke is even more so. And uh, they've they've made variants, you know, as long as your arm. There's so many different complicated. And it's very hard to choose to the point where, you know, if you just say I want a Coke, that's easy. But you can also say I'd like a Coke with a little bit of orange Coke in it. That's crazy, that's just radical. So what, that's what the Pepsi guy did to Apple. He said, okay, we need to make more printers and more kinds of printers. We need to make more options on our, on our computers. We need to offer um, you know, different kinds of boxes and different kinds of memory and different kinds of hard drives and different kinds of software and different kinds of, and different kinds and different kinds and different kinds. And then he said, we need to sell this everywhere. So we need to put these in stores, many different variations, and we need to partner with resellers. Let them do the hard work of selling these things. And it didn't work. And some point in the mid-90s, they were pretty much on the precipice of just disappearing. They were really close to just flat-out bankruptcy, which is kind of hard to think that in 20 years they went from flat-out bankruptcy to being the number one company by market cap in the world. But that's 100% true. They brought Steve back. They bought Next. Steve immediately said, here's your problem. I, I like to think of Steve as the mechanic. And by the way, I'm just calling him Steve because we're best buds not mr. Jobs uh, he, you know here's here's a problem kids uh, you got way too many products and nobody knows what the hell they're buying it's too complicated and effectively what you've done in the fight with the Mac and the fight with the PC the Mac has decided to become a PC they've decided to become nothing more than gray or beige boring boxes with swap outable components and that's not what Mac was all about Mac is all about we own the hardware and then we own the software and what's magical about that the integration you don't have to have the fight of uh, for those of you who've ever had problems with a, a PC, uh, maybe you have a, a piece of Adobe software on a, uh, a Microsoft computer that's, or a Microsoft operating system and an IBM computer. Whose fault is it? And they'll each point their fingers at it. Well, when you own all the pieces, well, you know how to fix it and you know how to integrate it. and it's, you, know, you can establish a more integrated space, and that's really where Apple lived. They kind of had that integration space. And Steve said, look, if you want to beat a competitor, don't choose their game." that's their rules that's how they do things we want to do things the way we do things and steve immediately took hundreds of skews off the shelf he said we don't sell these things anymore we sell like four kinds of computers we sell a laptop we sell a high-end computer we send a low-end computer and uh, you know what i'm calling it that's good and there you go and that's when he in- introduced the first iMac the kind of fishbowl uh, neon color and then of course the power book which of look like a toilet seat but whatever not you know whatever but they only had a handful of computers and if you you know each computer had two or three variants in terms of levels of memory or uh, hard drive space or processing power very very straightforward and if you go to the mac computer mac website right now if you want a laptop there are like four variants and each you know you've got the power i'm sorry you've got the pro and the standard and i think you can still buy an air uh, and each one of those has two or three um, iterations or variants therein, and that's it. It's very straightforward to see the difference. You don't have to choose between a thousand choices; you choose between three choices. What's that study where they with jelly, where they said um, they were offering samples in a grocery store of jam, and if they offered three, you know, they offered three samples, three different kinds of jellies or jams, uh, they had far better sales than if they offered twenty different. And what happens is, as you see twenty, you go, the choices are so daunting. I'm so confused. I don't know what to get. What Steve Jobs was saying was that what Apple was was not just the manufacturer of great hardware and software, not just the integration or integrator of great hardware and software. What he was saying is what we're all about is that we are curators. We know what you want. We can help you make better choices. In the same way that a chef who says, well, here's a piece of meat. You cook it and tell me what flavors should be on it. That's not a chef. That's, that's a short order cook. A chef says, Here's a piece of meat. Based on this piece of meat, what we need to do is cook it on both sides quickly. We're going to slow roast it. I'm going to put a pout, a compound butter, I think maybe sage is what we're going to do, and we'll have a side of potatoes. That's what a chef does. They make choices for you. They don't, you don't go into a restaurant, a good restaurant, and say, hey, I like this, but can you swap out this for that? Because you don't, unless you've got some sort of allergic reaction to something. You don't. You're there because the chef is good to so let the chef make choices. And Steve said, effectively, we're the chef. In fact, we're the best chef we make the best choices we're gonna make choices for you we're not gonna hand all that power over to the user the customer is always right kind of sorta of, and when i squint real hard maybe but no we're the most the smartest about this we know the future we know where things are going we can make better choices and that's why he could say things like yeah we're offering this uh, desktop computer without a floppy drive and the world went freaking nuts But he was right, because we were at the end of the lifespan of the floppy drive. We were in a connected computer world, and he was just kind of kicking that along. If he had asked everybody what they wanted, they would have all demanded a floppy drive. The cost of the computer would be complicated and higher, and we would not have necessarily moved to the internet as fast. He decided for us. What he was doing was choosing who he was. He was saying, Apple is about this thing. We're the anti-PC. PC is going to give you every option under the sun, so long as you like gray and so long as you like beige. But other than that, any option under the sun. Go nuts. I don't care. If that's what you want, that's what you want. If you want to go to the grocery store and pick your own meat and pick your own butter and pick your own potatoes and pick your own seasonings, pick your own flavors, go crazy. Go for it. But I'm a great chef and I know what I'm doing better than you do. And yes, you will pay me for a premium for my expertise. And that's the story of Apple, and that's why it is the greatest company right now at the moment by market cap. Now, of course, based on some of the recent events, maybe it's kind of losing its way. I'm not going to say I'm in love with Tim Cook and the way he's doing things. I think he's a better manager than leader there. I'm putting it out there. I don't think I'm really calling too much complicated thing. I think he's offering too many products, and he's not embracing who they really are. But that's a whole separate podcast, and this isn't a tech podcast. This is an employer brand and recruiting marketing podcast. So what the heck does that mean? what are the lessons we can learn from Apple because that's what I promised you can tell the coffee is working I'm gonna take a sip Hey, uh, just interrupting myself for just a second, just to remind you that because this podcast has made me extraordinarily wealthy, there's really nothing you can do. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to make any commercials or anything. You do not have to donate anything at all to keep this podcast going. Again, wealthy beyond my wildest dreams. Thank you all. I appreciate it. All you can do to help me make this podcast even better somehow is to review us on iTunes and Google Play and other places that you review and share podcast information. That's all you got to do. Leave some stars, leave a review, whatever you got to do. We really appreciate it. It's what keeps us going. Thanks to the people who have done it already, but keep them coming. We really do, like I said, we really do appreciate that. That's all I had to say. Again, I want to stop interrupting myself to bring you the amazing voices of me. Bye. That's good stuff. So what do we learn what do we know how does that what does this teach us and the the, what it really teaches us actually I'm gonna hold that I'm gonna take a company a random company a fake company let's be fair it's a fake company and you know what they stand for at least that's what they think they stand for they stand for customers customer focus uh, innovation first Um, they stand for value they stand for uh, technology they stand for cutting-edge thinking uh, and they stand for I don't know puppies in blue sky. Let's throw that in cuz that's really just as valuable. Too many companies and this goes this applies to corporate mission and true but I, I'm we're focused here on employer brand. Too many companies in an effort to show their positives forget their negatives. Let's let's be fair. Apple again, highest market cap in the world. Again, I will sing their praises. They're a very cool company. I wouldn't have any problems working there uh maybe it's not for me i don't know but whatever i I think i feel very positive about them they are who they are and they know who they aren't and by knowing who you aren't and by being willing to talk about who you aren't you're able to do a better job recruiting look at amazon again i even go to amazon all the time because it's a great example they know they are the puzzle solvers and the obsessives you can be smart but if you're not the obsessive type and the quirky, weird type, I'm sh- they're going to tell you, we're sure you're going to have a great time at other company. But you're not for us. We know who we are and we know who we aren't. And a good employer brand embraces who you aren't. Why? <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, if... I mean, just go take a look at 10 employer brands or 10 uh, company missions or 10 recruitment marketing styles. It's all positive. It's all we love this. We're all about customers. Now, there's a company out there who will love to tell you how much they're customer-focused, how customer-focused. Everything is about the customer, customer, customer. Except about a month ago, that company called the cops on a customer and dragged his butt, bounced him around the seats of the United Flight. United, customer focused, except when they're not. And again, this is a broken pattern. We've talked about this before. How can you say you're customer focused when you're really, when you have these things out there? And maybe the truth is, it's not so much that United isn't customer focused, it's customer focused in a very particular way. You, you know, they're, they're about, look, if you go by the rules, we will do these things. We will we'll do our hardest to get you there on time. We are customer-focused up until the, the point we have to ev- evaluate our policies. If you understand our policies and you live by our policies, we are customer-focused. But nobody's going to say that. That's not an employer brand. That's not fun. That's not engaging. That's not catchy. No one's going to say, yeah, I love my policies. <laughs> that's not how that works. They say customer-focused because they think that's all they have to say. And then the news comes on and we go, well, apparently we're not so customer focused. And I'm sure they think they're customer focused. And I'm sure individually each person who works there thinks of themselves as generally customer focused. I mean, let's be fair. No one works as a flight attendant or works the desk of of, of an airline thinking, I hate people. (laughs) Right? That was not a a good choice of, 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 of occupation for them. They are to some extent customer focused. And they probably see themselves as customer focused up until a point. And the thing is, it's up until the point that defines the brand. It's up until the point, it's the edge that defines who you are and not the thing. So if I can say, I'm all about um, happiness, that doesn't mean anything. I'm all about success. What does that mean? What you have to do in order to define this brand, this employer brand, is define up until what point? What is the edge? I am all about success up until the point I have to lose sleep over it. I'm all about success up until the point the work gets hard. I'm all about success up until the point I have to kill somebody. Those are all very different brands, right? I'm all about success no matter what. You know, the mob mentality. (laughs) We will kill people for success. We do not care. We will make that happen. That's a successful brand. Willing to say how far you're able to take it. At the same time, we're all about success up until the point we violate the law that's success there are some companies for whom that's a fuzzy line you know you look at Enron they're all about success and we're willing to bend a bunch of rules maybe break a few on the way that's success saying you're all about success whether you're the Red Cross or the Salvation Army or McDonald's or Apple or whatever and I'm not saying they are but they all have their own definitions of success those definitions matter defining the edge of those lines is what matters defining who you aren't is what matters so again you're customer focused but up until what point up until the point where it becomes expensive are you willing to lose money for a customer how f- customer focused are you that's true branding that is what to to be able to say no to something to say that's not what we do there's a and I wish I could tell you who who said it but I and frankly I could probably pull it up, but I'm not going to. But success is as much about saying what you won't do. I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. It's not success. I totally blew past that. The line is strategy is as much about saying what you won't do as what you will do. Anybody can say we're going to be successful. Anybody can say we're all about the customer. Anybody can say we're all about innovation. Apple can say it's all about innovation, and it has a, a track record of providing innovative products and spending a massive ton of cash to make that happen and to buy in companies in places where it can't manufacture that innovation about it by itself google all about innovation same thing gonna make it gonna buy it whatever it takes we're gonna be innovative that's what we do anything elon Musk does all about innovation gonna make it gonna buy it whatever it takes mcdonald's is about innovation But it's going to do it differently. It's going to do it slower. It's not going to spend as much money because its margins are different, because its business won't let it spend the kind of money that, you know, Apple and and Google and, and, and Elon Musk seem to have access to. They're going to do it differently. Their idea of innovation is slow. They're thinking about how does that innovation travel across thousands of stores globally? Any change they make in their process can take a year to filter out across every, you know, every store. So they have to be very judicious about their innovation. They may, they're innovation, innovative focused. I have no question about that. Internally, at corporate headquarters, they think of themselves as incredibly innovative because in a way they are. But you and I don't think about it that way because we're comparing them against an Apple and a Google. We are comparing them against what they're not. We are defining their edges for them. Um, and this is coming from Tim Ferriss. Oh, by the way, to, 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 to wrap that point up. So the concept of strategy is about being what you aren't, um, you could think of uh, Porter, Michael Porter, who is effectively one of the grandfathers of modern corporate strategy, Harvard business, blah blah blah, blah blah, uh, competitive positioning, uh, that sort of thing. And the concept is, um, and he talked about it, well, well let me, he, he talked about a corporate. Law. I learned it from a, a governmental concept because I was a government kid meaning I took a lot of poli-sci classes, then he, con- he, he said, look, in the end, France makes the best and the most wine. America, if it chose to, could make and become and outproduce France, hands down. It could just dominate it. We got, the, we got the resources, we got the sheer size, we could figure out how to make the land right, we could do it. But in so doing, we would totally screw up our ability to make wheat and corn, which, by the way, we do great at. Yeah, we can make a little bit of wine. we got places in Oregon and California and even uh, in the northern climes in Wisconsin and, and, and uh, the northeastern part of the U.S. Uh, but it's, we're focused on other things. We're focused on bigger crops like wheat and corn. We are optimized around those things to make more money. For every acre of corn we don't plant and replace it with grapes, we make a little less money because we're not optimized. Now, France doesn't make as much wheat and corn as we do, and every time they take an acre away from grapes to plant wheat and corn, they lose a little money because that's their competitive advantage. Their competitive advantage is in grapes. To some, you know, to kind of put that in a different way way of thinking, you can do anything, you just can't do everything. And a smart strategist understands what you are going to do and embraces the concept of what you're not going to do. So, for example, here in the employer brand space, you are looking to hire energetic, ambitious, go-getting people, right? I'm sure you are. Everybody likes to get energetic, ambitious, go-getting people. Are you willing to hire a shark? I mean, a true stays-up-late-at-night, willing-to-backstab-other-people? Shark? Are you? Is that what you mean by ambitious and energetic? Because that's what some people mean by it. You have to be able to say th- this is what we're not willing to do. We we are a team play uh, focused company. We want energetic and ambition, but not. And here's the important part. You know, sacrificing our sense of team and our ability to collaborate. That's a well defined concept. Here's what we are, and here's where the edge is. Because there are plenty of companies who say we want ambitious, energetic people who will stop at nothing to make this happen that's de- defining the edge pretty well as being so far out we don't want we barely can see it <laughs> up into the point of legality right that's what employer brand that's what recruitment marketing is all about now look at your job descriptions it's all about if you're if you have that boilerplate about what the company's all about and what the job's about it's as it, it's as if it was written in uh, a rose water on a golden meadow on a sunshiny day everything is wonderful we're a robust company we're we're, we're very energetic we're we're, we're ambitious we're, we're growth oriented um we want goal-oriented data-driven wonderful things wonderful things wonderful things we want all these things we want someone who can speak well and present well and write well and who does all these things and has lots of experience and can rise themselves to a challenge are self able to set their own goals and are uh self-driven and uh, uh, what's the word i'm looking for um not implicit um intrinsically motivated to succeed, right? Good old, uh, was that Daniel Pink? Um, you know, that, that, that's, those are wonderful things. Now you have to define what you don't want because frankly, I can bring in someone who meets all those criteria who won't fit in because they will actually disrupt the system because they're so far on the edge and you haven't defined the edge, they meet those criteria. they are driven, they are intrinsically motivated, they are self-starters. They do have that experience. They are data-driven and they're going to kill your company or at least make your life a total nightmare up until the point where you have to fire them and you have to explain why. It's not because they weren't self-motivated and intrinsically motivated and driven and all that stuff. It's because they were two, but you didn't define the edge. You didn't define who you weren't. Thus, you're confusing the matter. You're going to bring those people in and it's not going to be to your benefit. Uh, and this comes from Tim Ferriss. So, again, third party information. And for some of you, I get, well, you may not be in love with Tim Ferriss. And I'm kind of drifting out of love at the moment. And that's fine. You know, I, we had our moment. But he talks about, you know, how he had a job description that he put out there for uh, an assistant of some sort. And there was a huge section that effectively said, here's why you're going to hate this job. I'm going to call you at three in the morning. And I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember the details. I'm going to call you at three in the morning expect you to make this thing happen. I'm going to give you the least amount of information possible to do the job and expect you to fill in the gaps and to take care of it. I am going to expect more from you than anybody else has, and I will come down on you like a ton of bricks when you don't meet that expectation." He lays out the who you aren't so hard that you almost fill in the who you are by, you know, process of of elimination. What's left? you just got to be a killer you just got to be willing to do what it takes to make that thing happen and he says he got this idea from shackleton who went to the south pole and said effectively i'm asking for people who are willing to put themselves at such risk that there's a great chance that we ain't coming home still reading here's what we're going to go do that's a job description every job has pros and cons every job has things you like and things you don't like every job every job ceo all the way down to uh, mailroom and customer service or um, frontline service or the person who has to get yelled at by customers whoever top to bottom left to right doesn't matter everybody has pros and cons but we never define the cons we always talk about the pros we were designed we we're expected to frame and spin and pitch this idea of this is why you're going to love this job and quietly ignore the reasons why you're going to hate it so for example I'm opening a store that sells sweaters, I want you to help sell sweaters. So here's why you're going to love the job. You're going to interact with people, you're going to help them make good choices, you're going to make them feel good about themselves. And I don't tell you things like, people are going to come in and be jerks to you and blame you for things that you have zero control over. That's true, right? let's let's every retail experience every retail experience I've had I have gotten screamed at by people for things that I had zero control of. these are things that happened before I got hired right sometimes you know corporate decision I'm apparently the face of the company therefore I get the vitriol that spews from their mouth that sucks but it's a part of the job being in retail sales in that particular space you're gonna get that you're gonna get the good you're gonna get the bad now As someone who's looking for a job, I'm not an idiot. I'm going to go to Indeed and Glassdoor and look at those reviews to see what those negatives are. You don't say them, so I'm going to go find them because, again, not an idiot and I know they happen. I know there's no such thing as a dream job. Every job has things you don't care for. Every job has parts of it you're like, I wish I could jettison it, but I can't. For whatever reason, there's no such thing as a dream job. None. I don't think Elon Musk loves getting questions from reporters. I don't think that's the best part of his job. I think he loves to talk tech. I think he loves to come up with ideas. I think he loves to hear what other people in his employ have to say about how they're implementing things. I think he loves to push people. I don't think he loves being questioned by reporters and the public. I don't think that's his favorite part of the job. Does he still do it? Yeah, you kind of (laughs) got to. That's the job of being Elon Musk, right? You're the CEO of like 12,000 companies. You're going to take some questions. And he knows that he can't give that job up because if he did, he would be unable to do the parts of the job he loves. So every job has positive positives and negatives. So if you're hiring, you're looking for the next Elon Musk, you have to be able to say, look, here's the positives, but here's the part you're not going to love, but you're still going to have to do it. Why? Because that's being honest. That's again, that's defining who you aren't. And that's so critical. I would love to see every job description have a section called, here's why you're gonna hate this job. Here's the part that's gonna make you crazy. If you have a bad day, it's probably because of this. Not because you're trying to tell people how horrible your jobs are, because your jobs aren't horrible. Your jobs aren't probably no more horrible than anybody else's job. You're just being honest about it. And when you're honest about it, you're establishing that you're understanding the situation. You're a realist. You're, you understand what's going on. If you tell everybody who walks in the door, put on your rose-colored glasses, this is going to be skipping through Clover, and the first bad thing happens to them, they're going to think you're a liar and probably a son of a who knows. They're going to think the worst of you. And that's really not how you're going to lead and manage good people. You have to be honest. You have to tell them the good and the bad. You have to define who you aren't and let them prepare themselves. Let them find their own way to get good with it and comfortable with it. Elon Musk has figured out how to be good with this. The dude stutters. The dude is not a great public speaker by any stretch. He has figured out how to be good at it and leverage his strengths. But clearly it's been work. And it's the part of the job he doesn't care for. And everybody can figure out how to deal with the part of the job they hate, whether it's the politics, whether it's the paperwork, whether it's the who knows, whatever it is, there's some part of your job that you hate. You've figured out a way to manage it. Some of it may be pure procrastination, but if you know that coming in, you can plan. You feel like the company is honest with what's going on. You don't feel like you're going to get blamed for shit that isn't your fault. You understand what the job isn't. You understand what the company isn't. Look, you know, if you're a company and you're a tech company, and you don't have unlimited funds, and you're let's be fair, even Apple technically has limits to its cash, though they be maybe hard to conceive of. Um, they can't do everything really, really well. You can't do everything really, really well. You cannot make Cheerios, nuclear bombs, aircraft engines, cars, and the next iPhone at the same company. It's the kinds of thought and thinking and processes make you good at one of them, make you just as bad at the other one. Here's an example back to Apple. Apple's amazing in hardware, amazing in hardware. Pick up an iPhone, I dare you and tell me they're not amazing at hardware. They just are. And the funny thing is, is what makes that hardware amazing is the software running inside of it. That's crazy. You're supposed to be able to do one, not the other, but they've really succeeded at both. You know where they suck? Services. You know how I know? Anybody in love with iTunes? Anybody? Anybody? You know what I love? I love Sonos. Love Sonos. Fantastic service. Again, not being paid. And by the way, I love Apple. I love them for their hardware and software. I hate their services. iCloud makes zero sense to me. It is the most cumbersome, complicated piece of service ever. You know what makes sense? Dropbox. Again, no, 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 uh, not getting paid for this, but that's who they are. Dropbox, Spotify, good at a service. You think I'm gonna buy a Dropbox phone? No. You know who's a great service? Facebook. They've really nailed who they are. You know what sucked? Their phone. There you go. You can be good at one and not and good at the other. Not because there's a limit to how you can be good. It's just that a company like Apple is so focused on, let's polish this p- piece of hardware to its perfection, to it- its nailed down, we- no bugs, and we're ready to roll it out. Minor exceptions, yes. We roll it out. That's why you know there's only one phone, new phone a year and not 17 iterations of phones every year. Is because they spend a year polishing and getting it right because they know they can't recall them. A, p- a service like Facebook you launch a new version of Facebook and there's a bug, you fix the bug and you push out the new version suddenly the bug is gone you can't do that in hardware it's a completely different way of thinking about your business and thus you can't do both the same, you would be schizophrenic and then eventually psychotic and no one wants a psychotic business you have to choose, you have to define who you aren't right, how do you know Apple's this thing, okay we'll look at the HomePod release. They talked, everybody was waiting for the new Siri announcement, everybody was expecting all these Siri integrations, everybody was expecting to do amazing things with Siri, because in the end, in the race between OK Google, Google Home, Alexa and Echo on Amazon, and Siri, Siri was the third place, they were the first to launch, but they weren't great at it. Why? Because that's a hardware company, not a services company. They don't have the same investment in artificial tele- intelligence and natural language processing and uh, artificial intelligence and all the stuff that it takes to do this really, really well that a Google and apparently an Amazon have invested in. Right? That's why Google's so late to the game in hardware. They only recently started to own their own hardware. Apple's been owning hardware since I was a kid. That's a long time. So when they rolled out the new HomePod, notice they talked about how much music you could listen to and how great the speaker was. Oh, yeah, by the way, Siri. And how wonderful the sound was. And it would listen to your room and figure out how to make the sound sound so much better in your room. And I guess Siri's involved anyway. I guess somehow connected. It was not about Siri. It was not about the service. It was about the hardware. It was about the amazing hardware. (laughs) If Apple or Google had come out and said, here's an amazing speaker, everybody would have said, yeah, the speaker's kind of mediocre. But that software is kind of cool. That service is kind of cool. That's really neat. Google, or I'm sorry, Amazon, or Apple focused on its strength. Its strength is a hardware producer, not its strength as a not-so-great services producer. You have to define who you are If you don't, you're going to find yourself in trouble. You're going to say everybody it's sunshine and roses when everybody knows it's not. You're not going to be authentic. You're not going to be embraced as a brand because people will know you're full of it. And no brand really succeeds very long when everybody goes, you're full of it. You gotta know who you aren't. All right, so there's a podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I, you know, I, gosh, I love these things. I really do have a great time. So thrilled you listening. If you are interested in bringing me on to speak at your conference or event, holler, let me know. I love to do this stuff. Uh, I love to talk about, you know, recruitment, marketing, employer, brand, and we can talk about what kind of presentation that could be. Um, I'm in negotiating with a couple other podcasts. Hopefully you can hear my wonderful voice other places too soon, hopefully. Uh, well, hopefully that goes soon. Otherwise, if you want to get in touch with me, Twitter, at the War for Talent, website, thetalentcast.com. You know where to find me. Thanks so much for listening. Give us a review. Give us a listen and give us a share and we will talk to you next week. Bye.